Hello and welcome to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. I'm Tanya Morgan and in this episode we are going to be talking about the GRDC Frost Extension Project. Throughout the year we've been putting together a newsletter called Better Frost Decisions where we cover a range of farmer-friendly management strategies that are being trialled in the regions. Today we're going to take a look back on did we make better frost decisions based on what's been happening in the field. So I'm going to have multiple guests on the show today. We have five farming systems groups involved in this project, EREP, Upper North Farming Systems, Mallee Sustainable Farming, Birdship Cropping Group and Southern Farming Systems, as well as Peter Heyman and his team from Saudi Climate Applications Group, who have been taking a really in-depth look at frost and what's been happening in the regions historically, what we might see this season, how we measure it in the field. And today we're going to have a look back on what's actually been measured this year. I'm also really keen to share with you some of the work that's been happening in the regions and we will catch up with some of our farming systems groups later in the show. My first guest on the show is Peter Heyman, Principal Scientist with Saudi Climate Applications. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Tanya. So just to start off with, how would you describe the frostiness of the 2021 season? Because it was a particularly late start for many people and we thought, given the fact that most farmers were sowing quite late, that we might actually be able to escape frosts at the pointy end of the season. Did that actually happen? Obviously, farmers, as they're harvesting crop now, are going to know this much better than, than I will. Yes, I think we had that late start, then that really wet, extremely wet July, and then this dry September and August. From about the long weekend in October, from the 5th of October through the 13th of October, there was just this run of really cold night across Southern Australia. Obviously not everywhere got a frost every night, but it was a very, very cold spell through that time. And I imagine some very damaging frosts in those times. And, and as you say, some of the crops were probably a little bit later. So the optimum flowering window for a lot of areas is in September, isn't it? But these October frosts were just hitting soft dough and the crops in, in that vulnerable time. Late frosts also with pulses and other crops and canola don't give time for recovery. And so that's another problem with those October frosts. We were working with the farming systems groups involved in this project and you kindly lent some of the group's frost sensors to be able to measure what was happening in the paddock. What did you learn from the data that you've been able to get back from those sensors? All the farming systems agreed to measure in a standard way and they used previous GADC work with the National Frost Initiative to standardise measuring at head height. So obviously the most important thing with minimum temperature is we need to be very careful where we measure. And you move very small distances with minimum temperature and you get big differences for very small distances. What we were interested in is saying, okay, we know it's good and the best practice is to measure at head height at the top of the canopy. And we know that's the coldest part. And to use something like a tiny tag data logger and have it exposed. So we're measuring minimum temperature there. What we're comparing that to is Bureau of Meteorology data, which is measured at 1.2 meters. So at a higher height and in a Stevenson screen. So it, it, it's in an enclosure. Obviously we have to have a Stevenson screen because we have to have some sort of screen to give meaningful measures of daytime maximum temperature. So what we did was we provided some extra data loggers so we could compare how different is the screen temperature at 1.2 meters to what we measure at head height? So what's the difference will be offset roughly between the two, between screened 
temperature at 1.2 and the exposed data logger at the head height. So what was the difference? So the, the rough rule of thumb that people use is that you can say it's about 2.2 degrees colder at head height than it is in the screen temperature. And that's what was used in sort of the old modeling work in Queensland and so on with Wheatman was at 2.2. And for the four sites that we completed, two of the Mallee and Murraytown and Onair Peninsula, it was about this two to three degrees offset. And some of that is because we're covering it and also the height difference. So that two to three degrees difference, when the Bureau for a location is giving a temperature, we, we would normally expect at that site where the Bureau is for the wheat at head height to be two to three degrees colder, sometimes much colder, but on average it's two to three degrees colder. Farmers can use the Bureau of Met for data, but is that the best data? I guess it sounds like doing something in the paddock might be better. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably the message that the more local you could be, the better. And that's where people who are fortunate to have Mesonet data in both the Mid-North and the LA Mesonet have an advantage and local little weather stations and so on. And, and increasingly, given the cost of uh, the data loggers and so on, farmers and certainly farming systems groups measuring in the paddock. And that's giving a, a better indication because we know that minimum temperature will change over the landscape. However, I think that the Bureau information, and we've sort of compared it for minimum temperature and for maximum temperature, it's certainly telling you when there's a cold night. It's not telling you exactly how cold it's going to be, but it is telling you that it is giving you that indication of there being a, a cold night. So I think acknowledging that what the Bureau is giving you is a broad scale information of the climate that will change in a very fine scale for landscape. So the Bureau information is good, just realize that it's, it's sort of relevant for a, a general rather than very specific for an individual paddock and very much parts of paddocks. That's good to know. So I know that you've been involved in the GRDC Frost Sense project. Are we going to get to a point where farmers are going to be able to map temperature in their paddocks? Yeah, so there's, there's that really interesting work that CSRO has done where they're using the digital elevation model. And then a local temperature, and they're really able to use that to give some indication of where cold air would flow across paddocks. It, it's not perfect, but it's giving an indication. And it's certainly where we've talked with farmers who have really good knowledge. And, and it's startling just how well farmers are, do understand their paddocks, because obviously they're driving across their paddocks and they're really aware of that, the landscape and the, the frost there. This does map pretty much to that. In some, some indications, it might help to sort of say where to put a logger or where to look first. It's So there is a guide for minimum temperature. And obviously then there's the opportunities to use tools, satellite tools and other tools to try and look at frost damage and there's commercial products available and CSIRO with that frost sense work is reviewing some other work to actually look at frost damage rather than just minimum temperature. And we know that the relationship between minimum temperature and frost damage is quite complicated at times. I know there are a lot of environmental factors that can be involved in what stage the crop is at as to how much damage you actually might see in the paddock, but 
for farmers to have some sort of guide to where to look for frost damage, I think that help, might help with some salvage operations down the track. So that's good that that works underway. Just finally, I know that you've spent a bit of time analysing frost data for this project and looking at historical frost data across the southern region. Are we getting more frost? Yeah, it's a really difficult question. And clearly a lot of experienced growers have a strong sense that this is happening and they're getting frost in places that they weren't and so on. You have to take that local knowledge really seriously and give it credibility. Where we have looked at the data, we can see that the last two decades have been frostier than the previous two decades. So since 2000, we've had frost, there's been more frosts and certainly some of these August frosts and so on, there's been a higher frequency of these frosts than the, the last two decades from, from 1980 to 2000. To really be confident about long-term trends, what it also shows is we just don't have very many good long-term high-quality data in the grain spell. And this is particularly true in some like Air Peninsula, where the cytotology there is much frostier than the, the Met Station at Cummins and Cleve and Kind Cutter. And so we're just missing where the frosts are in that situation. And the, the long-term records come from Kine Cutter, Port Lincoln, and Sejuna. So Port Lincoln and Sejuna are obviously not frosty sites because they're close to the ocean. So one of the problems is high-quality, long-term inland sites, we don't have as many to really be able to look clearly at trends. But it, it certainly has been frostier. And then, as agronomists will point out, we're also perhaps sowing slightly more frost susceptible varieties at earlier times. And a lot of what's good agronomy might be in current better crops and, and ground cover and so on else are also contributing that. But the record does support that we are seeing slightly more frost now than we were. Drawing conclusions about long-term trends, I think we need to be cautious about that. Any final advice? I think if we... We're probably have long ways of saying we don't know exactly what's happening. That's good reason for these farming systems groups to keep learning about frost, to learning what works. So frost isn't going away as a problem. We're going to be getting more warm winters and spring heat events, but I don't think we're losing frost. And so we need to keep learning together about the best ways to manage this. I think farming systems groups are well set up to do that. And I think rigor in how we measure minimum temperature in these sort of exercises where people agree on standards and how we do that and so on is important because then we can report the data and, and learn more about what's going on and how bad that season was. Great. Thanks very much, Peter. Thanks for joining us today. We're looking forward to hearing from the farming systems group soon, but frost is definitely a very complex issue. So plenty more work to come in this space. Thank you. Now we're heading to the regions and our first guest from the farming systems groups is Naomi Scholes, who is the executive officer at Air EP. Looking forward to hearing about what's been happening at the Toology Frost Demonstration Site. Over to you, Naomi. The REP GRDC frost demonstration site is located at Toology on Central Air Peninsula and has been sown and managed by EP AgriSearch. The demonstration was sown on the 26th of May and included a range of wheat varieties with different maturities, a mixed variety treatment, an ornless wheat to give the option of a hay cut in the event of frost, and Spartacus barley as a comparison crop species. The main aim of the demonstration was to answer the following question. 
Did sowing wheat varieties of different maturities sown on the same date reduce the impact of frost in 2021? Well, the short answer is no. Between mid-August to mid-October from growth stage 31, that's the first node, to 75 or milk development after flowering, there were 38 below zero degrees Celsius events. That was measured with the temperature data logger located at crop height and 18 below zero events measured within the Stevenson screen. So quite a few frost events. There were no visible frost symptoms during early September, but by mid-October all wheat displayed severe frost symptoms. The barley was the only treatment not visually severely affected. Harvest cuts were taken by hand on the 19th of October and possibly prior to full maturity for some of those varieties. The biomass ranged from 7 tonne per hectare for the Spartacus barley up to 11 tonne per hectare for mace wheat. The grain yields, however, ranged from 0.16 tonne per hectare for the ornless wheat up to 2.8 tonne for the Spartacus barley. All of the wheat grain yields were less than 1 tonne per hectare. From these results, in these conditions, growing wheat, despite using varieties of different maturities, has been severely affected by frost and resulted in very poor yields. Growing barley was definitely a better option in this situation. And this site is yet to be harvested with the plot header, so watch out for these results. We're here now with Jess Coff, who's a PA consultant with Breezy Hill Ag Services, and she's been working with Upper North Farming Systems on the frost demonstration site. Welcome, Jess. Tell us what's been happening in the Upper North. Thank you. So this year I've been working with a grower on behalf of the Upper North Farming Systems to basically do some further investigation into the variable effect of frost on one of his larger fields. He farms through the Murraytown Valley, which is historically very prone to frost. And he's got some fields in there that are getting hit in certain places with frost um, up to 80% of the seasons. And he had quite a bank of precision ag data. And over the course of working with him, we'd noticed quite a lot of patterns emerging. And I suppose what we wanted to do this year with the, the frost extension project was A, have the sensor out there that was provided to us through the project, but also put some some other smaller sensors all throughout the field to validate, I guess, the, the maps that we had, I suppose the spatial information that we had, and then compare it to some temperature sensors to see exactly what the frost effect was in the different areas of the field. We've been following along in the last couple of newsletters, uh, the maps and where you've put the sensors. You had quite a few out there. How did you work out where to put them? So we had 10 sensors in total, and there was a couple of reasons I put 10, mainly the price. So 10 sensors, it is a quite a large field, for our area it's about 200 hectares so that added up to about a thousand dollars so I thought that was probably you know in in budget would be reasonable for for a grower to spend but also I mean it was still a little bit of overkill probably but the reason we put them where they were was because we just used a landscape change map which sounds really fancy but every time a grower passes over their their field in any machine as long as they're using RTK a GPS they're recording all these elevation layers so they're very cheap and very easy to access and a lot of the time they're really good explainers of where frost is so we use the landscape change map which is if you imagine an elevation map is, is height above sea level, so quite simple to explain. But a landscape change map will actually pull out like ridges and depressions and contours 
which is the sort of, I suppose, geographical features that frost often follows. And so the longer the short of it was that we we placed the sensors in, in different landscape changes. So in gullies and up on ridges, just to see exactly uh, what those frost sensitivities were in those microclimates. So did you pick out much difference between the sensors? Yeah, very much. I suppose in some ways there was not a real shock at some of the results um, because we know from NDVI imagery and from yield imagery that the frost hits in certain locations in that field. I guess what we didn't know was are the limestone ridges up the top of the paddock still getting touched up with frost a little bit? And the answer was no, really. Like it barely dropped below zero the entire time. So that was quite interesting. But the other, I suppose, scary part was by having four or five sensors down on the flat, most months there was 18 frost events um, in any given month. And when I say frost events, I mean like below minus two for six to eight hours overnight. So the areas that were getting hit by frost were getting hit a lot worse than what we thought. So yeah, there has been some really interesting information coming out. And I guess the reason that it's important for this grower, I suppose in some some areas, you know, growers that get hit by frost regularly, if they're set up for hay and those sorts of things, you know, they, they may pull the trigger and just cut the field for hay and, and be done with it. But this particular grower is very well set up for hay. Obviously the hay market's not that great this year. And I suppose he wants to be if he's going to go down that road, very, very sure that the parts of his uh, property that he's cutting for hay really need to be cut. And yeah, I guess that's the best course of, of management for him. So yeah, that's sort of the why and the how. The more farmers can have these sorts of tools at hand, the better. Because when we show people the data on how much frost there actually is, I think they know that they get frosted in some parts. But when they see exactly how long for how often, I think they're quite shocked because most of the time we're sleeping, so we don't see it, but yeah, it can be quite brutal in some areas. So where to from here with the project? So I'm just actually writing the information up into a fact sheet at the moment. I guess I just want to show a logical pathway for farmers to easily do this on their own farms because it's not hard to do as a demonstrated you wouldn't need that many sensors and they're not overly expensive and they're quite easy to read and they're, they're looking every 20 20 minutes so they're quite accurate the data or the maps that we've used are not expensive or hard to access either the main thing will be compiling the results into a fact sheet to show how farmers could do this for themselves and use the maps that they've already got to make more specific management decisions around frost the other thing that was quite valuable for this farmer was when he was working with his agronomist just trying to scout for frost and work out where it was he just went out with these maps with his ipad and was quite easily able to find the line of where that frost event started and stopped so the time savings in not zigzagging across a, a big field are a bit of a bonus too for not a lot of outlaying costs that's the main thing that we want to show and obviously frost is one of those major issues that we just can't really insure against and we don't really have a solid answer to yet so we'll keep searching for for answers as long as we can thanks very much for joining us today jess we'll look forward to sharing the details when our next issue comes out my next guest now is somebody that I know quite well. He's my husband, Adam, and he has farmed in the Southern Mallee for, well, over 20 years now. So frost has always been an issue since I've been here. And I thought he was one of the best people to speak to about how he manages frost because it drives pretty much our whole operation. It's our biggest impediment to production. So thanks for letting me drag you in here today, Adam. Tell us a bit about 
what you've been doing on your farm and how frost impacts you. Thanks, Tanya. We are mixed farming. We did swing to all cropping and we've swung back to some mixed farming as well, but we've had to. Probably the only way to, to grow grain in our area is to delay seeding and delay flowering quite a bit. And because we're generally not happy with the uh, taking that sort of the yield reduction that comes from delayed seeding, we grow hay and we do that on a large scale. So we generally plant all our crops a, a little bit earlier than district practice, I guess. And then we monitor them. And if they do get frosted, we cut them down. So what sort of crops do you grow? We grow generally a lot of barley, probably 50% of our program's barley. I'm not sure whether it's more frost tolerant, but it's definitely a lot easier to tell if it has been frost. Wheat is a lot harder to tell. And generally, often by the time you can tell the degree of frost, severity of how far it's uh, got into your crop, it's often too late to make the decision to to cut down or do something with. Frost is something you've been dealing with for quite a while. How do you know where you get frosted on the farm? I guess we generally know where the low areas are or low paddocks. I suppose we don't we don't often piece paddocks out at all, but we do know which paddocks to be looking for for damage, where to go to, what paddocks to look for for damage. Generally, we can tell and know when we should take some action to do yeah, cut some hay or something like that. So we were able to do that this year with some some barley paddocks. We knew they were low. We knew we'd had a frost. We could see the damage starting to show very quickly. And they were very early grain fill, I suppose. So there was still a good chance to cut it and make some good quality hay. So we did that. We had wheat that we were checking in low areas and it appeared pretty good and and we saw all the low areas on that farm we we kept checking and we, we were checking you know every three or four days and thinking no there is there is perhaps some frost here but it's not too bad but probably found that when we got there with the with the header that the frost we may have had an inversion that day the day of the of the particular frost and it has carried the cold air up the slopes and almost so that the most of the damage were ended up being on the tops of the hills where we weren't checking so but it's just a, a hard one to pick and so we didn't do anything about there lost some yield that's just what happens when you when you're farming in yeah a very low rainfall year and everything's under quite a bit of moisture stress you're sort of in the wings waiting to cop one we do tend to see a little bit more frost when it is a dry year which also makes it difficult with salvage operations because you don't know how much grain there is and how much to invest in perhaps salvage operation or like this year not enough bulk to cut a lot of hay for a lot of people so now you were quite surprised by where the frost turned up this year we had a frost sensor out in that paddock we've just looked at the data there it's the one at the parakeet site what surprised you about those results probably the amount of hours below zero for the for the season we keep an eye on the mesonet stations uh one so that those tags were in that parakeet now we look at the mesonet stations at geranium and lamaroo so this paddock falls between those two stations and i don't don't remember seeing any, either of those stations dipping down to zero for short periods of time. And, you know, there's over, I think there's over 100 hours on the tiny tag of below zero recorded. So, yeah, a lot colder 
for a lot longer than what what we're seeing from the stations at Stevenson Screen Height. We don't typically put frost sensors out in our paddock. We sort of work off of just your head knowledge of, of where you know you've been frosted in the past and what your soil types are. Do you think there's a place for more sensors around the farm? Yeah, there generally is. From the last 20 years, we've gone off of our maximum minimum thermometer on the on the veranda. We know when that dips below, you know, zero, minus one, minus two, we we know we'll have damage or not. But the probably these these sensors are gonna give us a lot more accurate information. We're gonna have to look at them a lot more seriously. What are some of the other things you've been doing on the farm over the last little while to help with frost? We continued clay spreading for the last 20 years. We've spread some Flat white sand, that definitely has helped change the colour, hold a bit more moisture. Deep ripping, um, I don't know if that's helping with frost, but in some years it's allowing some extra moisture for the crop and that's helping to, it's also helping to safeguard against frost because the crop's not under the moisture stress in the springtime. Yeah, they're probably the, the main things. Also, I suppose anything that gives you a bit more moisture in, in the spring, so even just planting onto a hay stubble or a brown manure vetch, something like that. Good rotation has safeguarded against frost as well. I know that we've got a lot of hay in the rotation, but also taking that extra stubble load away. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Probably some of the, the worst frosts I can remember. Yeah, early 2000s, be, you know, just starting in no-till, being told, you know, we should be saving all this stubble, not having good residue management on the harvester, leaving big uh, loads of straw on the surface and then planting cereal on cereal and just getting completely wiped out and mainly because of this large matter stubble on the surface so yeah that's that's really quite difficult when you're you're farming soil that really could do with extra organic material put back into the soil and you sort of can't because every time you do it you get hammered by frost so mm. I guess at least we, we try and do that maybe with the going into the vetch brown manure stage, try and build it up there and hopefully it's broken down by the time you, you get there to sow the next grain crop. It's definitely a balancing act, isn't it? So I know there's still a lot of work that needs to be done with frost research. What are some of the things that would really help you if you had them here and now? Well, to this stage, I've been a lot of work on frost and most of it's made very little difference to how we can manage frost. Farmers can do little bits and pieces. We can soil amelioration, you know, we can do rolling, we can not have too much stubble sitting on the surface. We can delay delay seeding, um, we can grow different varieties, but generally all of these come with having, well, what they do is they end up costing yield a lot of them. So then being able to plant early, uh, good, strong crops, good root growth in our soils is the thing for driving productivity, growing grain until we've got some varieties that are significantly more frost tolerant to cooler temperatures. Growing grain's not high on my priority list. So we just will continue to grow hay. We'll continue to have some sheep in the system and yeah, growing grain, it's there some years, but it's not there every year for us. I know you've you've called yourself an opportunistic grain grower in the past because it really depends on how the season pans out. If we have a kind spring or if we have a wet spring, we can turn those potential hay crops into grain crops. Quite often you're turning grain crops into hay crops only because they're frosted. 
That's right. So we just set things up for as a hay crop, and if it turns into a grain crop, well and good. Yeah, that's just, I think that's easier on the mindset, knowing that, yes, it's most likely going to be cut for hay, and then all of a sudden, oh, that's a lot easier option. We can leave that. It's not frosted, and we can harvest it. We do that. But in saying that, you know, not every farmer in Australia could do that because there was just no market for that. So, yeah, our export hay markets are okay, but have taken a hit with with losing the China market. Domestic markets, slow because the East Coast is getting plenty of rain at the moment. Yeah, you can go and cut your whole farm and, and sell it in years like 2018 and 19 when the whole of the East Coast is in drought. That's that's no problems at all. But trying to find yeah enough market in in these better years is yeah is, is a challenge thanks for letting us pick your brain about frost adam appreciate you letting me drag you into the studio today no worries all good now we're heading to the southern farming systems region where we're joined by michelle McClure at sfs welcome michelle you've been working on a frost economic scenario calculator tell us a bit more about it the calculator SFS is developing in collaboration with Michael Moody from Frontier Farming Systems. It was designed to help you work through your scenarios for your farm and calculate the impact frost has on your business bottom line. You decided to make this a focus in your region after getting together with some consultants that thought it might be really useful for their growers. We had a workshop where Michael Moody went through the frost economic calculator in a very basic Excel format and the agronomist from that group found it very enlightening. It backed up their gut feel for what the gross margin would be through your decision making and what types of crops you should be selecting for your red zones and your frost amber zones. The, the calculator allows you to enter your farm business system details and step through the frost impacts you've experienced or potential scenarios allowing you to compare up to five different management scenarios. So as we all know, frost damage is not a simple predictable outcome based on topography, weather predictions and simple modelling. It is very complex. The calculator is just a qualitative tool that will guide you through trends and it relies greatly on the information you've entered from your experiences and your interpretation of the output. That's one of the best things about this calculator because people can really tailor it for their own situation. They can put in what the maximum amount of frost damage is that they've ever experienced and that's in their worst year to how much frost they might experience in a very light frost year or anywhere in between. The, the great thing about the calculator is it uses a scale like the rainfall deciles and you can put in your percentage of frost impact from that frostiest year through to least frostiest year. And you can just play around with those percentages and see your effect on yield tonnages and your gross margin. And you can also change what the return might be for, for different enterprises. Yeah, it allows you to enter current prices and the prices that you're receiving, but to make a, a reasonable decision around your farming system, you need to know current market prices and what's going to affect you. 
So we're getting to the pointy end at the moment. We're still with the programmer. We're hoping to have it finished by Christmas time in ready for us to plan for our 2022 sewing season where we will release the calculator. We'll run a couple of workshops with local agronomists. We'll also be producing a how-to video. So people that are out of the Southern Farming Systems area, you'll be able to access the calculator and run through with the how-to video and run through your own scenarios for your own area and it will also be available on the GRDC website down the track so we'll keep everyone posted of that thanks very much for joining us today michelle thank you tanya this podcast was brought to you by the GRDC frost extension project applying current knowledge to inform grower decision making to mitigate the impact of frost now and into the future or as we like to call it better frost decisions thanks for joining us if you want to hear more like and subscribe to the msf farm talk podcast catch you later